Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector, business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff. We're uh, one week away from the beginning of early voting in the San Antonio mayoral and, and city council races. And last week, there was a, a poll released done by Bayer Facts, uh, KSAT, and the San Antonio Report, and uh, had some uh, interesting uh, numbers on the mayor's race involving Ron Nuremberg and, and former councilman Greg Brockhouse. You'll remember two years ago, they ran against each other. It went to a runoff. Brockhouse lost by only 2% to Nuremberg. But the, the new poll has Nuremberg at 56%, Brockhouse at 21%. And um, I, I want to get. I, I will start. I'll start with you, Greg. Just how surprised mm-hmm. are you? Are are you surprised by this poll? And uh, do you do you think the numbers are are close? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, without really knowing very much about Bearfax methodology, I mean, it it strikes me as totally plausible. I mean, I think these are probably pretty good poll numbers and they make sense to me. I mean, it's kind of like we've, you know, we've talked about over several uh, episodes now that, you know, Brockhouse doesn't really, uh, you know, it's not entirely clear why he's in the race. I mean, what, what is the argument he's making? Uh, You know, it's, it is a radically different situation that uh, Nuremberg is in this year, you know, from two years ago. And, you know, obviously that has everything to do with the pandemic and his response to it. And again, you know, I think he's done, you know, he's, he's managed, you know, the mayor's office uh, really well in the pandemic. Uh, You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, two years from now uh, he could you know, I mean, he might be in trouble again uh, because, you know, he's got he's not the strongest mayor we've ever seen. I mean, he's got a lot of flaws. Uh, it just so happens that his strengths really, you know, they they mm-hmm. linked up with kind of the crisis, we, you know, the, the public health yeah. crisis we've been in over the last year. Uh, once that eases and, you know, uh, San Antonio re- returns to to normal, more or less, I think his weaknesses are going to, you know, they're going to come to the surface again. I mean, he has a hard time articulating a vision for the city. I've never been entirely convinced that he has a kind Mm -hmm. of a cogent vision for where he wants to take this, this city. And he definitely has a hard time, uh, you know, bringing council along yeah. with him right. in kind of a non-crisis situation. He doesn't talk to a lot of, yeah. a lot of I was thinking about members. comparing him to say, no, I was going to say, compare him to you say, like say? Joaquin Castro. I think those, are, I mean, uh, Julian Castro, I think that's an interesting point because he not only had probably about eight council members pretty much like lined up behind him from the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, but he also like very early on talked about this is the decade mm-hmm. of downtown and basically we got to fight sprawl we got to start like pulling people back in, into the urban core that was right. that, that was a clear vision everything i'm doing is about that and um so yeah i think that i think that's a really good point brian what mm-hmm. do you make of the poll are you surprised at all by it i mean the first thing that springs to mind is uh, Trump supporters tend to line up with uh, Brockhouse supporters and the right. Trump supporters can be tough to find in polls right yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it, 
I mean, support for Trump has been underestimated in the past. And, Absolutely. And, and, but that raises another point that, that you know, Trump uh, is arguably a, a fading political entity right now. And I think Brockhouse kind of, you know, lashed himself to 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 the Trump movement in a lot of ways mm-hmm. when he ran a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, anti-politician, um, you know, going to going to break stuff and and you know a very you know sort sort of uh anti city hall stance. Sure. So I don't know how much that that is resonating right now with uh voters on the north side who might have supported Trump mm-hmm. um before he lost um to Biden. Yeah. Um what are your thoughts on that? Um yeah no I th- I think that's I think that's valid. I think I do think you got a point about you know Trump tended to uh outperform poll numbers. Like if, if, if you had asked me, um, like, a two weeks ago, how I thought the race was going, just n- not based on anything, but just a gut feeling, I would have probably said maybe 50, 30 Nuremberg. I definitely had the, the feeling that, um, this kind of, uh, race he's run where he's not engaging Brockhouse very much is probably has made it hard for Brockhouse to really get traction. And so I thought that we probably had a pretty good, um, differential there, but the size of it did, did surprise me somewhat. Uh, Josh, what did you make of it? You know, the, the, the thing that makes me scratch my head at all of this, um, is, you know, you, you've got this mayor's race that's, that's been kind of sleepy, um, over, you know, this whole cycle. And, you know, the, the most controversial thing on the ballot is, uh, prop B, which is the the measure to uh, take away collective bargaining from the police officers union, um, you know, if that drives a wave of of folks to come out in support of the police union to vote no against that, um, you know, I can't see a whole lot of of you know voters who are passionate about that then going and saying vote for Nuremberg um you know i think brockhouse benefits from that wave yeah um but you know judging i mean the other thing looking at this poll is you know you've got you know 20 you know 19 20% undecideds mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know even if brockhouse picks up every single one of those and these numbers hold and they're accurate he doesn't he doesn't close that gap with the mayor um, enough to force him to a runoff. Yeah. You talked uh, about Proposition B and there have been some interesting developments in that same poll that we were talking about. Um, the the results for, for uh, Proposition B, which would, uh, if passed, would um, basically remove collective uh, take collective bargaining uh, away from uh, the San Antonio Police Union. And in the poll, 39% uh, were opposed to it, 34% supported it, which was maybe a little closer than some people would have expected. And um, while Ron Nuremberg has stayed out of out of the fray on that one, um, on as, as we're doing the podcast on this Monday morning, a former mayor, Julian Castro, has released a video in which he comes out for Proposition B and basically says that... Um, you know, he supports uh, good faith negotiating, but that's that the system is broken in San Antonio with the police union and that we need this proposition. So, um, you know, Josh, how much when you if, if the race is as close as that poll indicated and you have Julian Castro entering in and saying n- not simply that we've have, we've had problems with the police union, but that Proposition B is the remedy for that. Um, how, how, how big a factor is that? 
You know, I, I'm not really sure about that. Um, you know, my my gut tells me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, first off, I think it's a it's a pretty interesting journey that that Julian's been on. Um, you know, these these past several years. You know, since he left the mayorship, you know, he was. Um, you know, as I understand it, he had pretty good relations with the police union um, at the time. Uh, and, you know, has gone on on sort of like this 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 evolution um, to where, you know, he's he's, you know, one of the only you know major presidential candidates in, the, in or one of the only you know Democratic candidates in the presidential primary that that's really talking about uh, police reform. So, I mean, this felt pretty like a pretty natural extension of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as far as, you know, sort of. Um, you know, bolstering enthusiasm for um, for Prop B. Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. I think you've you've got a couple things going on here um, that that sort of muddy muddy the waters for people. Which, um, like, kind of, if you're in that center, basically, and you're you support collective bargaining rights, but you want to see police reform. Um, this is this is something that kind of tests your loyalties um, if you're playing in that sphere. I mean, you saw it with the Central Labor Council uh, coming out against Prop B um, and saying, you know, we're going to keep collective bargaining rights. So I, I don't know if this makes it easier for for people to make that decision. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that the, the challenge, I, I don't necessarily think the police union has run a real, uh, I think they've struggled to to find their uh, uh, message on this. I mean, they've tried to say this is defunding the police, which is not really what's happening here. Um, they've also, you know, suggested that um, the the opposition fix SAPD is, you know, they've employed dirty tactics and so on. I don't, I don't think, I think that... Um, if it's closer than it is, I think it, it than it, then we thought it was going to be. Um, I think it, it might have to do with some, some failures. I think even people that I've talked to who support the police union on this have, have privately told me that they don't think they'd necessarily run a great campaign, but, uh, you know, the, the cast, it just, yeah, and, go ahead. And the other thing that we should, I, I was, I was surprised, you know, based on, you know, their past, uh, the police union packs, uh, a campaign finance filing this for this past cycle between February between like late February and, and late March, they'd only spent like 43 K, hmm. um, um, you know, which you know, the, if the SAPD spending just dwarfs that and their fundraising, yeah. uh, dwarfs that as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fairly confused about, yeah, What's going on here? I mean, are they are they basically capitalizing on like you know a lot of pro police sentiment that's already out there? How much of a campaign do they actually have to run? Yeah, yeah. On that, yeah. Oh. Still, I mean, this is an existential absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it is. You know, they're yeah, like their their level of spending is kind of uh, kind of surprising to me. And yeah, I mean, it it, it seems like they've been running kind of a, a scatter shot disorganized campaign yeah. from, from what I've seen, which is, you know, that's, that's surprising to me. I mean, just think back, you know, during the late Scully years, just, you know, four or five, six years ago when they were, you know, in 
they they were working trying to work out a, a contract and it just became like this this political campaign that was focused on yeah. Cheryl Scully, you don't see that kind of discipline now, <laughs> which is strange to me. Well, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Kelly, the, the president of the union, has left. I don't that, know if that's that's, the, that's a, yeah. You difference. had a change there, and one of the interesting things too, Greg, is like that period that you're talking about. I mean, the people who was uh, who uh, the person who was behind a lot of the messaging from the police union uh, was Greg Brockhouse. Right. Yeah, that's he was, right. He was getting paid by the union. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's like a weird thing where like you know, like he he. He, he can't as a mayoral. I think he's trying to run a more statesman-like campaign than he ran two years ago. Anyway, so he can't yeah. really get you know in, in you know in the dirt the way the union <laughs> did a few years ago. Yeah, and so it's kind of a weird thing. Like he's the he would really benefit from a stronger union campaign, but they're not. They probably would be running a stronger campaign if he was helping him with it. You know, so it's just this weird dynamic. That's, <laughs> anyway, that, that actually. Uh, I mean, this is this is a little off point, but I mean, it yeah, that kind of got me thinking about. Uh, you know, two years ago, another thing Brockhouse had to run against was Cheryl Scully, who you know she's gone yeah. now. So that's that's another big hole for for uh, Brockhouse. I mean, he beat up on her. The wedge issues aren't there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, at times it looked like he was running against Cheryl Scully, not Ron Nuremberg, two years ago. Well, something I was I was also thinking about is like how much of this is indicative of sort of like this. This broader sort of, I guess you could call it maybe a reset that the mm. that the union is is going through, and is that arriving at sort of an awkward time? You know, Danny Diaz is not the bomb thrower that that Mike Kelly was. Um, you know, he seems to be trying to play nice to a certain degree uh, with with city leadership. You know that that meeting between him and and Nuremberg a couple of weeks back was cordial by all accounts. Um, so how much of it's, it's just odd. I would say it's probably odd timing for this, this sort of existential threat, uh, to be, um, to be, uh, taking place while they're just fundamentally, you know, shifting gears. Yeah. And I I would say that, you know, in, in Diaz's meeting with Nuremberg a few weeks ago, I, I mean, I would just guess that like really what they want is for you know, if, if, if the mayor isn't going to, you know, fight prop B, then at least not talk about it, you know, just keep, keep a low profile, not make it a campaign issue. Definitely not weigh in, you know, on its behalf. I think they just want to, you know, if he's, if he's not going to fight it, then just keep him quiet, I think is probably the strategy. Yeah. Wanted to talk a little bit about, um, a visit that we had to San Antonio last week from Governor Greg Abbott. Um, he visited uh, Freeman Coliseum, which has been uh, used as a shelter uh, for unaccompanied migrant children uh, coming from uh, Central America. And um, the governor uh, was outside of the of the Coliseum. He had not yet entered or taken a tour of it. And had this press conference and said, you know, we need to shut it down. There had said there had been allegations of sexual assault at the at the shelter, and uh, said this is all, the, you know, due to the the terrible policies of Joe Biden. Uh, you've obviously you've uh, unsurprisingly you've had pushback from uh, Democrats. You had. Uh, uh, Congressman Joaquin Castro uh, visiting uh, last Friday uh, with some other Democrats, uh, and uh, you had uh, State Representative Trey Martinez Fisher saying that uh, Abbott was engaging in piñata politics. Um, 
So, uh, Brian, you wrote about the allegations that the governor has put out there. I mean, what have you found so far? Well, I think the most relevant finding was something that um, Abbott actually attached to a letter he wrote to Vice President Kamala Harris, again, repeating his demands to shut down this temporary facility that's federally run, but out of the county, Bear County owned Freeman Coliseum. To his letter to Vice President Harris, he attached a memo from uh, two state officials um, from the Texas uh, Department of Family and Protective Services and the Health and Human Services. And they detailed the complaints, three complaints that came in last week. And nowhere in those complaints was there an allegation of sexual assault. There were allegations of quote, sexual acting out by these teenage boys who were at the facility. Um, There was a complaint that some of the children, quote, who may be homosexual, end quote, were being bullied. Um, But there was no actual allegation of sexual assault. So the, I mean, the the clear conclusion from that is that he, uh, the governor likely exaggerated the the complaints uh, when he appeared in front of Freeman Coliseum. There, there's so many things uh, uh, about this, and, and and truthfully, you know, I think that when you talk about um, what turns people off on politics, uh, and this I think is is a great example. You had the governor with an opportunity to take a tour of the, of the facility, to ask all questions that were that he had about it, and after he has the press conference, he did take a tour, and, and Bayer County Commissioner Rebecca Clay Flores, who's been volunteering there, was with him and said he asked, he did ask questions along the way. Um, it would have made all the sense in the world for him to um, to do this beforehand. One of the things that he threw out uh, at his press conference was the the uh, possibility that uh, kids who were infected with COVID uh, nineteen were being mixed in with other kids who who didn't have it. Um, by all accounts, that does not seem to be anywhere close to the truth. And people, uh, as he was getting toured, a tour of the facility, were showing him where everyone was being kept, and 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 those who who had COVID were being kept in a separate place. So he was throwing a lot of stuff out there. And uh, one of the things he he did too was he you know in calling for this to be shut down. Uh, I don't think he had any uh, suggestions for where else these unaccompanied kids ought to be ought to be. Put. Uh, the other thing is that uh, he did an interview on Sunday with Chris Wallace on, on Fox News, where Chris Wallace pointed out that during the Trump administration, um, there were allegations of you know, many, many allegations of sexual assault at facilities where migrants were being held. And Greg Abbott never spoke once about it. Um, so. And the final thing I would say is that he supported uh, a remain in Mexico policy instituted by Trump in 2019, which. It required uh, migrants seeking asylum, including children, to stay on the Mexican side of the border while their claims were being processed. So this means that you had children basically having to camp out, living a homeless existence on the Mexican side of the border where they were subject to uh, attacks, assault, uh, certainly the, the elements. And he he supported that policy and never said a word about it. Um, but he wants to see this, a facility, a shelter that was set up here uh, to try to, to provide some kind of, uh, you know, a place for, for these kids while, while the, the process is playing out. He wants that to be shut down. And, and I'll say that, you know, if there, if there are allegations of, uh, you know, if, 
instances of bullying or or uh, oh. any any you know just poor management at the facility it these should be taken seriously but for him to have this big press conference before he even went in there um I, I, I'm just kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing. I mean, anybody else have any yeah, thoughts? And, on and one of the, well, well, real quick, uh, let y'all talk too. But, uh, one of the other complaints was that they weren't being fed, um, enough. Right. And that was debunked very swiftly and yeah. definitively by, like you said, commissioner Clay Flores and County judge, uh, Nelson Wolf, you know, they, these kids are, there were three local catering companies that, mm-hmm. Are uh, you know have been activated in there and and they're feeding them three meals a day and two snacks. So I don't I, you know th- these were just complaints that came in and it's unclear who made the complaints. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it was it, it did seem premature for the governor to appear um, and make these uh, you know hold this news conference before he even toured the facility. It almost makes me think that he engages in politics, like unmoored by facts. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't know better, you might think that. Then, yeah. yeah. I might, I might think it's just a game to him that, you know, it's, this is just naked partisanship and, you know, we don't really need any, any kind of factual substance to what we say in public. It's, yeah. it's all about, you know, scoring points. Yeah. Fortunately, we know that that's not the case. So that's, that's encouraging. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's an honorable governor. T- truly. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap things up, we've got a little bit of time and I, Greg, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, the mayor's, uh, speech, the state of the mm-hmm. city speech last Friday, uh, with uh yeah if for the chamber groups and he talked about uh he was pretty optimistic about where things were are going uh now that we're people are getting vaccinated uh think where, where things are going with the economy mm-hmm. and he predicted like a, a really robust um you know improvement in the tourism industry for san antonio uh, what's what's your sense about that yeah i mean let me, yeah just i mean his his tone kind of surprised me uh it's kind of you know it's kind of like well if he's saying go about living your life, uh, just wear a mask. It's like, Oh my God, (laughs) this, this might almost be over. (laughs) I mean, I I think, I think if you spend any time, uh, in downtown San Antonio, especially over the weekends, I mean, you know, uh, at least in-state travelers are here. Like they're, they are coming back. I, I don't think there's, you know, any, any question about that. Really the, the, and he, he did touch on this in the speech, the tourism, like the backbone of the city's tourism industry are, are conventions, right? I mean, and right. those were decimated, you know, most, almost all of them were scrapped sure. last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I got to think they are coming, you know, they are coming back yet, but you have to keep in mind. I mean, it's not like an organization can say, you know what? I'm going to have a convention next weekend. I mean, these are, these are planned months in, right. in some cases, in many cases, actually yeah. a year or two in advance. Uh, so, I mean, we're still, you know, we're going to be in a transitional period where, uh, you know, I think by the end of the year, you'll see, you know, conventions are slowly coming back and then, uh, will they be back in full force? In 2022, I mean, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. the The opinion, at least among you know convention planners, seems kind of mixed on that. But it's definitely you're definitely going to see more of a resurgence by the end of this year. 
Um, so you, you know, you take business, you know, convention business that you, you've had almost none of, and you start to bring it back and you couple that with in-state, uh, travelers. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's right. Like, I think, I think Mm. the hospitality industry in San Antonio is, is poised for a comeback. Uh, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be fully restored for a year or so, probably at least. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up there. Um, Hope you all are doing well. Um, And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Take care.